Romans uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 15. <clears throat> what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, <coughs> the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think one of the most common misunderstandings about Christianity that I come across is that Christianity is all about, you know, keeping rules, you know, uh, don't drink, uh, don't gamble, don't dance, don't speed when you're returning from Tonsley to Kernelite Gardens, you know, things like, if I say I didn't speed, I just was uh, disciplined. Uh, but, you know, that's the sort of comic view on the God. God is like this cosmic policeman, right, who is hovering around a corner, uh, just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can slip out and issue you with a spiritual infringement notice, you know, that sort of pers perspective about what God is like. But if you keep the rules... Then you'll be rewarded with heaven, where you get to continue that restricted lifestyle for all eternity. You know, it's sort of, it's just the way in which I think people often perceive uh, the Christian life. When you come to the first five chapters of Romans, it makes it really clear that that view of Christianity is totally wrong. Uh, right relationship with God is not based on keeping rules but because Jesus died and took the punishment that we deserve. And he did it because we don't keep the rules. That actually is the Christian view. Come on, guys, come down the front. That'd be great. Plenty of room over here. Yeah, that's great. Now, these guys are heroes because uh, they do what adults should do. That is, um, you should read the Bible and study it, the passage you're looking at the following Sunday before you come to church. These guys have done that, so if uh, anyone's going to heckle and ask questions, it'll be them, I reckon. But, uh, so that's a uh, good, good thing to be uh, bearing in mind. Okay, relationship. We can't keep the rules, so Jesus dies, and it's a gift of grace that we have a relationship with God. But, but that whole perspective, that is just totally counterintuitive to the way human beings think. 
because by nature, I think we're religious people. And religious people operate more on karma than they do on Christianity. You know, karma, what, what uh, goes around comes around, that sort of idea. Uh, that is not the gospel, not Christianity. Uh, just a few years ago, Sue and I had the opportunity to go to Cambodia to visit some missionaries over there, the Prins, who are part of the network of uh, Trinity Network of Churches. And uh, that was the first time we'd ever visited a country that was living in the shadow of genocide. Uh, and, and being there for, for several days or a week or so, uh, we could just see the way in which that history just weighed on people and bogged them down. In the 1970s in Cambodia, there's a guy called Comrade Duk. He was one of Pol Pot's chief executioners in the killing fields. In fact, he died just a couple of months ago, just this year. Uh, the school where he butchered so many of his fellow countrymen had been turned into a sort of a prison camp, has now been turned into a museum where you can go and you can see the horrors of that period of their history and see the skulls of the victims that have been dug up from the fields nearby. That was in the 1970s. In 1996, Comrade Duch, he became a Christian. He was baptised in a river and became part of a Baptist church over there. Now, isn't it just outrageous that God would forgive him? I mean, he doesn't deserve it, does he? And the answer is no. You see, that is the outrage of grace. Uh, but unless you have some sense of that being a reality for you, then you've actually missed the message of the first five chapters of Romans. But if you get the insight into it, then you do understand the objections that are now being raised by people that Paul's trying to answer. Remember, after five chapters, it's like Paul has this you know, heckler at the back of the room who says, look, I've been listening to what you're saying, but there's a problem. You know, verse 15, shall we sin or go on sinning because we're not under law but under grace? Now remember back in chapter 5, verse 20, we're told there, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Shouldn't we sin more? Because the more we sin, doesn't that make God look more generous? You know, isn't that? And when people actually think that way, and it is a, a twisted logic, but you can see the problem that's being raised. Uh, if you just make it all about grace and get rid of law, why don't people just cut loose and do whatever they want? Uh, you can imagine if uh, the state government adopted this approach, it would lead to chaos. Uh, uh, imagine this week, Stephen Marshall decides uh, to make an announcement that he is abolishing all the road rules for all of South Australia, right? And he jumps up and he says, look, the good people of South Australia, you've been so wonderful in the way you've complied with what's happened with COVID. We trust you. And we're trusting you to do the right thing on the road. We're abolishing all the rules, but we know none of you will ever speed, right? And none of you will ever go through stop signs or road, you know, uh, red lights. You'll, you'll stop. We know you would never drink and drive, of course, and never take drugs and drive. You know, we trust you. Everything will be good, right? Now, what would happen if they enacted that sort of uh, abolition, it'd be total chaos, wouldn't it? There'd be carnage. 
and it'd be a complete, complete disaster. Well, isn't, isn't that the same sort of logic when it comes to the law? If we get rid of law, rules for how we please God, won't be people, people be careless when it comes to sin? And Paul says, verse 15, by no means. And remember, this is the, the apostolic equivalent of you'd have to have rocks for brains, right? There is no way this would happen. But he goes on. And he says, verse 16, don't you know? He doesn't just say, no, that's stupid. He gives an explanation. And he continues with reasons why God's grace transforms our lives in such a way that the rules for godly living, the law, they could never do. Okay, so we're going to explore that together. Firstly, though, what I want to do is, is almost take a small digression and to think about the nature of freedom. As you had the passage read, it was talking about slavery and not, not talking about slavery to sin and the freedom that comes with serving God. But actually, if you listen carefully, it was talking about slavery to sin or being slaves of righteousness or slaves to God. He's contrasting two forms of slavery at this point. Freedom is one of those concepts that I think has dominated uh, particularly Western thinking in the last few centuries, as well as individual thinking uh, of those who, who live in the West. Uh, for some reason, there's been a bit of a focus on the United States of America this, this last week or so. And, uh, but you remember their declaration of independence talks about three inalienable rights, and they are life, uh, liberty or freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. And even at an individual level, we know that, that that idea of freedom or liberty is so profoundly central to the way in which we think about life. Uh, most of us desire that freedom not to be held back by anyone or anything. You know, free to do what I want and not be answerable to anyone. And over the years, again, I've heard people talk about the fact they don't want to become a Christian because they lose that freedom of self-determination to be in control of their own desti destiny. But Paul says here that actually everyone who was ever born is a slave. Listen again to verse 16. When you offered yourself to someone as obedient slaves... You're slaves of the one you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And this idea of being a slave, uh, it catches 21st century Westerners off guard. Paul is saying, no one is free. Everyone's a slave. Sue and I, when we became Christians, uh, Bob Dylan had just released an album. Uh, and just, I realised this is a long time ago. Who's heard of Bob Dylan? People, tell me you've heard of Bob Oh, that's very comforting. Okay. Uh, he is famous, I think, because he is a vocalist uh, who has the most irritating voice known to humanity and yet has sold millions of albums. Go figure. Right? But uh, one of his songs on that album, 
slow train coming was you've got to serve somebody. And it it, it captures this truth that Paul's hitting here. Uh, It goes like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that accurately captures what Paul is talking about. There are two options, there are two categories, slave to sin or slaves to obedience or righteous, righteousness. And you might say, well, I, I'm no, nobody's slave. Yeah, I'm not answerable to anyone. I'm offended by the notion that Christianity would be promoting this. So let me talk about the nature of slavery that, that Paul's referring to here. Back in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, Paul has said, we're all under the power of sin. And that, at that point he's saying that sin is a power, not just a series of rules and regulations you break, but a power that influences your life. And he's saying by nature, everyone is caught by this power. Um, like most couples, Sue and I have divided up sort of household activities in different ways. Um, uh, Sue does the finances and I tend to do the grocery shopping each week. Okay, we're divided according to gifts. And uh, um, so I go down to the local Coles, I pull out a trolley to go shopping and I reckon one in three, this is what happens to me, I'm pushing this trolley forward and I discover it has a rogue wheel you know, you know the experience, you know, you sort of, you know, and this rogue wheel means this trolley has a mind of its own. It just wants to smash and knock things off shelves, you know, and you have to struggle and fight with it all the way. I mean, it'd be sensible just to swap it, I suppose, but I'm sort of stubborn at this point, you know, and uh, just fighting all the way around the supermarket. That's what human beings are like. Uh, left to our own devices, we have a natural tendency to pursue what we want. It's a natural tendency towards self, you know, bent in that direction. And at the end of the day, what we're being told is that sin is actually anything other than worshipping God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You you, you either serve, you're under the influence of sin or your allegiance is to God. That's the point being made. But Paul goes on and he says, the only way you achieve true freedom is when you embrace the grace of God. Uh, The freedom he's talking about is being liberated from the slavery to self or to sin. But of course, when you hear that, you think, "How how can slavery to anyone or anything be freedom? In verse 17, Paul says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Now, I just want to slow down on this statement just for a second so we can understand it properly. I want to ask, what is the pattern of teaching that now claims 
our allegiance, verse 17. Literally, actually, that phrase is a form of teaching to which we are entrusted. Right? What we're being told is it is teaching that's been done to us rather than teaching we have done something about. Let me try and uh, explain. Uh, some of you will be aware of the foster care system where family services, they can identify ch children that they regard as being vulnerable in certain family environments and they can pull them out of those environments and place them into families where they receive uh, a care and a support and a nurture. Right? That, that often happens. Now, at that point, the children have no control over what's happening. This is someone coming in to try and exercise care on behalf of that child for their well-being. We're being told here that we're in a destructive relationship with sin and that God has liberated us from that destructive relationship with a new teaching. We're entrusted to that teaching. So what's that teaching? It's actually been coming all the way through these early chapters of Romans. It's that in Christ, we're justified, we're made right with God. And it's not because we've obeyed God. It's because God has given us the gift of forgiveness in Christ. Because Jesus took the punishment we deserve for sin so that we could be made right with God. God does that for us. And that doesn't just change our behaviour, it changes our hearts. Verse 17, we now obey from the heart. Obey from the heart. I can remember one time in our family when our kids were quite little, uh, we were sitting around the table, one of our children wanted to leave the table and I explained that no, we stayed at the table till we all finished. This was the family time for catching up. Every one of you who are parents will have had this discussion uh, at different points. And I remember this child looking extremely grumpy about this and with their arms folded, you know. And then I remember they said, I'm obeying on the outside, but not on the inside. <laughs> and I thought, I think I'd sort of worked that out already. But um, as parents, we don't want our kids just to conform to family rules, do we? That's not our goal in parenting. We actually want them to own our values, which will lead them to adopt family patterns of behaviour. That's the way in which we, we function. And can I say it's the same when Paul is talking here about the contrast between law and grace. External rules, external laws, the laws of God, they will not change our hearts. The way our hearts are transformed is by his gospel. Verses 18 and 19. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness and then Paul goes on, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Uh, slavery, even to God and righteousness, it doesn't sound great really, does it? And that's why Paul qualifies it. 
He says, I know my illustration isn't perfect, but it just helps you get the big idea. You can serve sin, serve yourself, or you can serve God. But understand they're very different masters. Sin is cruel. It destroys you. But when you're a slave to righteousness, it means you belong to the family of a gracious father, a father who loves you, who delights to have you serve him. Uh, You follow him and you will experience real life. What I'm going to do for just, just a few moments as we wrap up is to talk about a few key takeaways I think that we can reflect on from this passage. The first is to warn about a danger. And it's the danger that I think Christians fall into all the time. Uh, What has been hammered for five chapters in Romans is that we are saved by grace alone, uh, by faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, that's the message you would have heard consistently going through these chapters. What Christians tend to do is that they say, yes, I'm saved by grace alone, and now there are rules to live by that I add to grace. I am saved by grace and performance. That's how I know that I'm right with God. And it really taps into that opening question in this section. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? You know, the law... God's rules to live by, don't lie, cheat, steal, love your neighbour as yourself. And, and you think, we do want to have those rules, don't we? Oh, we need those rules, don't we? But can I say law, if that's your go-to place, it just makes you feel guilty because you can't do it. I mean, let me just say, who among you loves your neighbour like you do yourself? does you should all feel guilty right Uh, that's what the law does to you and that's why grace is so profoundly important see law just means you try harder and you feel more guilty and you never actually get there it's a bit like um the the way the law functions is a bit like uh, a smoke detector in a building Uh, if you're in an office block and a fire starts the smoke detector will alert everybody to the fact that there is a problem. What does the smoke detector do in terms of putting out the fire? Nothing, right? Smoke detectors are really good at alerting to the fact that a building is going to burn to the ground. The only way a fire gets stopped is if you have a terrific sprinkler system where it triggers the fire department to come and put it out. God's law functions to make you feel guilty. It does not resolve your guilt. But the grace of God in Christ does resolve that. In Christ, we're forgiven, justified. It changes our status with God. And do you know what grace then does? It changes your behaviour. Your heart affects your behaviour. But the danger is that we will adopt a gospel plus law approach. We start with grace but we feel like we stay right with God by making sure we tick boxes as we go along. And Paul's answer to that strategy for living the Christian life is you must have rocks for brains, right? No, 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 no. 
And can I just digress for a moment? I want to talk to parents here so children just get distracted by something else. But um, I, I read a book by Paul Tripp uh, maybe 18 months ago called The Age of Opportunity. And Paul Tripp says the great danger with Christian parenting is that Christian parents will emphasise rules of behaviour for their children as they're raising them and thinking that they're raising Christians. And he says that that is misguided. And he explains it in this way. He says, uh, it's a bit like if you have an apple tree in your backyard but wish you had an orange tree. And so what you've got is this, this apple tree and you want it to tr- transform. So you go off to the grocery store or the fruit and veg shop and you buy a bag of oranges, okay? And you come home and you staple the oranges to your apple tree, right? Ta-da! Orange tree, right? He says, Christian parents often think that that's the way to do it. If we can just staple the right behaviours to our children's life, that will make them a Christian. We don't think that for ourselves, why would we ever think for our kids? See, how do you parent your children so that they grow up with a profound sense of the grace of God that's affected your life and also affects their lives. Grace. The, um, the gospel is also the power to change a life. I'll talk about the struggle with sin next week. But I was reading a Scot, I don't think George Tennant is here, but I was reading a Scot called Ian Hamilton, and he said this about the way in which changed lives occur. He said, it's clear that our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. Now, I'm not an English teacher. I don't even know if acquaintedness is actually a real word. Uh, but, but the point he's making is a good one. I talk to Christians all the time who are feeling lousy about their sin. And they say, I'm trying hard, I'm trying hard, I'm trying hard to get this right. But do you hear what Hamilton is saying? Trying hard, it's not lack of effort that's the problem. It's a forgetfulness when it comes to the privileges of being in relationship with God and the grace you've experienced there. Because that flows into our lives and our behaviours. And then, let me just make a comment on true freedom, uh, being a slave to righteousness. Verse 23, the, the end of our section, the end of the chapter, Paul contrasts two forms of slavery. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, This is written to believers, not non-Christians. And he's talking about the fact that the freedom that leads to rejecting God isn't freedom at all. That just leads to guilt and to shame. Will God's grace mean that we continue with that old life of serving sin? Continue in sin because we're not under law but under grace? Well, I hope you can see, having worked through this chapter... That, that's incomprehensible. Um, the Berlin Wall came down in November 1991. And if you go to that location, there's actually a museum there called Checkpoint Charlie. And in that museum, you can read about all the people who escaped from the oppression of East Berlin to the freedom of 
West Berlin by climbing over this wall. But what you won't find in that museum, there is no example of someone who climbed from West Berlin over the wall back to East Berlin. <laughs> There's no way that that would have happened. That's the point of this chapter. Friends, having embraced the life-giving grace of God, if you know that grace, would you continue to sin? No. Of course not. You'd have to have rocks of brains, wouldn't you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, this chapter is a wonderful reminder to us of your grace, but also of the way in which you, by your grace, then transform our lives uh, so that we don't live in guilt or shame, but rather we know your kindness to us in your Son. And Father, we pray uh, that you'll keep growing us in the knowledge of grace so that we might live as slaves to righteousness, the freedom that comes with serving you and living for your honour and glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.